Morning today. Good morning okay. today. That's right. It's not tomorrow <laughs> or yesterday. Today. Good morning. Actually, the time of this recording is technically afternoon. So good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> good afternoon. That's right. We kind of missed that threshold today. Okay, so we're on to <clears throat> the Cross of Christ, Lesson Eleven. And two weeks ago was the last time we got down to start talking about this. And we kind of went through the first half of it. And that group, I don't know, were y'all here then or not? I don't think We never, at least Mark and I didn't start this. Okay, everybody's shaking their head no. So, um, for those of you who have read it ahead of time and... Like, what stands out to you, I guess, at the beginning? Maybe even when you hear the term, the cross of Christ. You know, like, what comes to mind? Huge burden. You're talking about the cross itself. Right? Yeah. Hmm. Say more, like... The cross itself is a huge burden. Well, he had to carry it through town mm. before he was hung on it. Right. How about that? It's more like torture. Yeah. Mm. You know, the lesson here, he's kind of going through several series like this chunk, like, you know, 9, 10, 11, 10, 11, 12, they're, they're kind of all wrapped up into kind of really understanding, like, what happens to the wicked when they die, like, in the end. Sinners who, you know, don't have a faith-trust relationship with Jesus, and they find themselves, you know, outside the city at the end of the millennium. We talked about that in previous lessons, like, what actually happens. And so the whole point is what he's trying to get at is a lot of people, a lot of Christianity, a lot of people believe that, Jesus died the death of a sinner. And so he's approaching it from that perspective. So since most people believe that, then let's follow that path and say, well, how did Jesus die then? If he died the death of a sinner, how did he die? What was the process? What killed him? You know, all of these things. Who killed him? And and he's, he's I really like personally that, you know, he's approaching it in a way that makes God look really good. You know, um, which is really, really cool. Um, over on page 141, there's a middle paragraph there. And I think this might help kickstart some of our conversation. I know, like, for those of you who like to listen to our podcast, they're gonna be, there's going to be a little bit of repeat, I think, from previous episode to today, just because we'll kind of catch up with some of it. But... We'll close it out. But in that middle paragraph, according to traditional church teaching, in the end, the unrepentant sinner will suffer the wrath of God against sin, which is what Jesus suffered on the cross in our place. But remember, God is not like us. His ways are not like ours. The wrath of God is not being beaten up or burned up, but rather God giving us up to the consequences of our choices in life. And then he goes on to list a few references that really, you know, biblical references that really kind of support that. Um, and Second Chronicles twenty nine eight through ten. That's on the next page, Lola. You want to read that for us? What page? 
142. The whole thing? Second Chronicles 29, 8 through 10. Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath given up to given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes, for indeed, because this our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. What do you think of that? We, we talked about that a little bit last time, but just the idea of God saying, okay, I'm going to pour out my wrath on you, and I'm going to give you up to trouble, desolation, jeering. I'm going to let you go to experience a lot of bad stuff right here. Definitely changes the the idea of wrath. Right. I mean, the follow-up paragraph to that, Lola, in his wrath, God simply had given them up to trouble. In other words, he let them go their own way and suffer their consequences. He would rather have had them avoid. And his parents, most of us are parents in the room, except for Bo here, you know, we have all experienced that situation where it's like, I, I want my kid to avoid this, but he's so dead set that at some point we got to, okay, let him deal with the natural consequence of what's coming for him or, you know, I'll let you go to have some trouble. And then you got Psalms 81, 11 through 12. I love this verse, but my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsel. Right? It's amazing how humans are so stuck in what they think they need to be doing. Yeah, humans are very, very stubborn folk. No doubt. Especially in this day and age, you can show them, you can show them the proof and they will still go the other way. The, we're kind of moving quickly over these couple pages here just because we, we already talked about it at length here a few weeks ago, but on the middle of page 143, the middle paragraph, um, you know, He kind of ties this into the way love functions or the way love works. He says, again, we see that God does not willingly inflict pain and trouble on the unrepentant sinner, but rather reluctantly gives them up to suffer the consequences of their own harmful choices. So that's coming after Romans chapter 1, 18 through 28, which is a big passage where, where Paul writes in three different points or three different areas that people gave them up to the uncleanliness. They gave them up to the, the vile passions. He let them go to, to reap the consequences of their own decisions. Um, he gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. So it's like in that passage in Romans, it's like consistently saying, you know, a person is dead set in their mind or in their heart to, to go a certain way and do a certain thing. And love requires them to say, okay, Love requires freedom. So God 
gave them up to let them go. Right? And and he can basically just have the power to just make you do what he wants instead. He does he, have that power, yeah. Right. It's like it's like let's say a hypothetical if a parent had that much power, I bet I bet you that the parent wouldn't care about freedom or whatever of choice. Mm. Just to see that my that if 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 a if a sibling or I mean a son or daughter right. were on that path that they were dest- destroying themselves and their body because they were doing drugs and stuff and a parent a human parent they have that power to make them stop they would have done it right. because you don't want to see your child die or whatnot you know but God has that ability to say I love you but. Yeah, you know, I'm going to respect your freedom. And, you know, I can tell you this is going to go bad on you, but I'm still going to respect their decision and let them suffer the consequences. Sorry. Yeah, and we see that that character attribute of God, like, consistently throughout Scripture. Like, that is consistent. I mean, even when Jesus was teaching, like, the prodigal son parable, like, I mean, yeah. and you see him doing, like, the Old Testament all through Israel... The New Testament, a lot through Paul's writings, he's talking about the same thing. Um, and Galatians 6, 7 here, in the New Testament, in our lesson, God, uh, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You know, he's just, it's your choice. You know? Yeah, it kind of blows that theory out of the water that, you know, there's people in this world that say, oh, well, you know, God is a dictator or whatnot, you know. Yeah. He's telling you to do this and do that. It's like, yeah. no, he's suggesting how to live a happier life by doing this, you know, eating right or, you know, not crossing the street in a heavy traffic, you know, where there's a lot of traffic not crossing the street. Right because he might get hit he's basically just telling us how to live so we can be happy but you can choose to do it or not yeah you know he's not gonna he's not forcing you he's merely suggesting this is how you will have a happy life but you can do and uh I don't I don't remember what book it is but in the Old Testament there's a, there's a passage where God is like, um, like Ephraim is, Ephraim has joined with his idols. Let him go. Like it's, I'm, I'm horribly paraphrasing right now, but the idea is, you know, God is saying like that tribe, that nation, those people have married their idols. They have fully integrated with, they have fully bonded with their idols. There's nothing more I can do for them. Let him go. And Jesus, again, right, going back to that whole point, in Jerusalem, what is it? Jesus, when he came back to Jerusalem, he started crying and weeping. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks and save you and protect you, but 
you keep going after false gods. You keep going after idols. You keep falling away. And he's just weeping over. He's like, so what can I do? You know? So how does that, because again, the title of our lesson is the cross of Christ. So to then jump into part two, like how does that whole concept then play out in if Jesus died the death of a sinner, then what do we learn from all of that? How do sinners die in the end? I thought it was very, um, the author brought out later on in that, where, how Christ died, mm-hmm. the stress of it all. We'll get to that today. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think, you know, when we waller in our own stuff, that we have a tendency to be stressed. Oh, yeah. To be worried about the consequences of you know, because you can be in the middle of it, but yet, you know, you don't always see the consequence of it. Right. Right. Until it's too late. Right. Here's a quote I, I've really liked. Um, you can never avoid the truth. You can only delay the day you have to deal with it. <laughs> I think that's just a really good quote. So moving into later on the lesson, like you're talking about, the author then goes into um, looking at some biblical records of crucifixion that we find in like the Old Testament um, and then comparing it to um, the book of Matthew and, you know, what actually did happen. And those are really, really interesting and really good to understand, like what actually happened to Jesus at the cross. Um, And just a few of them that we can maybe just touch on real quick would be. Even just the first one, Matt, uh, Psalms 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my roaring? And you compare that with Matthew 27, 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so it's really neat to just learn, you know, he's not saying, God, why are you punishing me? God, why are you killing me? You know, because some people believe that, like, God killed Jesus at the cross because of a sacrifice to forgive sins, to create some kind of change in God. And if you if you value Ellen White's writings, The Desire of Ages, like, she words it plainly that Satan murdered Jesus on the cross, not God. And the Bible is clear, God was in the Son punishing the world. No, God was in the Son reconciling the world to himself, like fixing the broken relationship. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Right? What do you guys think of that? Anything else stand out to you there? That's kind of interesting. It's... You know, Ellen White did speak of that very much um, on, you know, and, and it really does point to Satan killing Christ. Right. And it, it's, you know, and you, you think about it, you know, people want to worship a strong God. And even in the wisdom of the scripture, it doesn't flat out say it. Hmm. 
and it doesn't give Satan any credit. You're right. Well said. Hmm. Well said. Yeah, because the Bible, what is Saint John? The you search the scriptures because you think in them you find eternal life, but the scripture reveals me, mm-hmm. right? It reveals God, not. I mean, like you say, you can find elements of how Satan works in there, but it's not learning about him. Right. Right. It's learning about God. Also. I think it'd be really neat for us to check out on bottom of page 145 to go through this Psalms 88, um, where it kind of talks about the thoughts and the minds of Christ as he experiences the suffering of death. I think I, I found this kind of, I found this really interesting. And because it really kind of brings out the humanity of Jesus, um, which all of us can relate to, no doubt. I think it just really helps support even that idea of like a personal God. That God is a personal, you know, he's a person. So, uh, Angel, do you want to read a little bit of that? We just might read down through, like start there at Psalms eighty-eight, fourteen on page 145. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Remember Jesus Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 15, first part, I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. There in Hebrews, Jesus knew from an early age who he was, and that he was born a human for the suffering of death. Very interesting, right? And then what, the second part, angel, verse 15, while you're su- while I suffer your terrors, I am distraught. So what do you think of his uh, the Hebrew word for, for, uh, for that distraught, poon? Which means to be perplexed, confused, unable to think logically. What do you think of that? Because maybe from where he came from, it was not logical. It, it, it didn't fit any of the, the criteria of, of, of information that is that would make sense. Mm. I mean, he was feeling feels. He was, you know what I mean? He was... I mean, you know, as as a as a young person, he was teased, he was bullied, he was, you know, he he didn't fit in, and probably didn't understand why someone would treat someone that way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I think also because he was nailed to the cross, his body shock. Yeah. Maybe hallucinations or something, or I mean, and he was still human, right? He was yeah, human, he, he's so. human, so his body and his mind, you know, the physio, you know, physiology, you know, your 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 body. I mean, you get shot or something, and you yep, you you start your body and your brain just act different, you know, the mm-hmm. the, the the pain. I've seen people like faint because of pain; they just faint because they're body cannot take the pain anymore so it just shuts down yep so yep 
Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty crazy. A lot of people think that salvation, like the whole key moment was Jesus' death on the cross when he was crucified, right? Like a lot of a lot of Christians, a lot of people focus on that, saying like what Jesus did for us at the cross. But what they don't understand, I think, is that if you back up a couple chapters in Matthew, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, like that's where the choice was made to go to the cross. Because if you think about it, when he was there in Gethsemane, he asked his disciples to pray with him. Jesus went off for a while to pray to the Father, and the agony was so intense. He was sweating blood. Angels came to minister to him. The disciples fell asleep. He he was battling the, the human desire of save self. Like, God, I don't want this to happen. Right? Like, he's battling that whole save self the selfish sin nature of humanity. He's like, but nevertheless, even though I don't just have it, I will still choose to do it because it's your will, right? He's just like, and so what's really crazy is a lot of people miss the fact that like he made his choice in Gethsemane and everything else that happened, the thorns, the floggings, the whippings, the people punching him, the, the spitting, the, the mob, dragging the cross, getting nailed onto it, hanging up there. Those were all things that happened as a result of the choice he made, right? And so if you think about, you think about the idea of like God, so, so what does that say about God? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus made a choice. Like God didn't tell him you have to do this. Like you can read that in the text. He said, but I will do this. Okay. So what did God do? He let him go to do what he chose to do. Right? You know that that decision will affect the world. Right. The whole world. Absolutely. And that was the only way that he could save the world. Right. There's a paragraph here. If you flip over a couple pages to 148, tell me what you think of this paragraph. It's the second paragraph there, top of the page. The thing we need to realize is this. As Jesus suffered the horrors of the crucifixion and separation from his father, for a time, he became distraught and could not think logically. While in this confused condition, he lost sight of his own resurrection he had himself foretold. For a short time, he actually lost any hope of coming forth from the tomb. What do you think of that paragraph? He suddenly became very human to me in my head. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, simply because I think Satan was trying to influence his thinking at that time. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. To for it, you know, to to make a mistake because Satan knew that Satan was fighting him all the way until he died, because if he was, if if Satan just finds just. An opening that Jesus can 
make a mistake and then um, what you gonna call it doom the world you know a mistake that can doom the world mm -hmm. then Satan would have won so I think I think Satan was was torturing his mind and his thinking while he's up in that cross trying to get him to you know to flinch as you say well you know and this also makes me think you gotta follow me here because hmm. we're going scuba diving <laughs> yeah I'm going scuba diving a little bit um, so like when it says for a short time he actually lost any hope of coming forth from the tomb and then again a little further down it says he felt his death was eternal and that's what made it different but also you know with the second death you know it's it's people's choices and everything that gets them to that second death in the end mm -hmm. but um, there you have you know Satan to blame for that you have that connection with that because they lose hope. They mm -hmm. lose, you know what I mean? Like Christ lost hope in this situation. But but in, like for the second death for people, you know, that's, I mean, you got to put that blame or that, or that, source of reason behind the bad choices and all of this stuff that's really you know satan's doing hmm. i don't know it made sense in my head but uh -huh. maybe it <laughs> i think what i'm hearing is Yeah, I, I don't know if I 100% can agree with what the author's saying. Just that idea that, like, because, like, Jesus knew that he was fully God. Like, all power was given to him. Like, in John, I don't know, 17, 18, something like 16, like, before he washes the disciples' feet, like, it, it, it's clearly said, like, Jesus knowing that all power was given to him on heaven and on earth knelt down to wash his disciples' feet. So like, I don't like I under I think I can understand where the author is getting at with the study, trying to trying to steer people who say, okay, the accepted thing is that Jesus died the death of the sinner. Let me finish my thought. We'll get to you. Jesus died the death of, of the sinner. So his whole idea is because people believe that God kills people, in the end, God will kill you. His whole idea is, okay, well, let's just follow that logic then and just see, well, then how, what killed Jesus? How did he actually die? And the end conclusion is, God didn't kill Jesus. It was the natural result of the choices, right? So I can understand what the author is getting at by trying to put God, like, share the truth about God's character to try to get people to start thinking about God differently. Like, and so I can appreciate that a lot. But in this situation, to think that, you know, Jesus was not aware and actually thought he would die forever, 
Um, like, I don't know if I can get in on board with that because it makes God seem to be very limited. Mark. When, I forget that archaeologist's name, but when he found that Ark of the Covenant. Ron White? Ron White. And when he took the blood samples of the blood that was on that, which was cut coincidentally underneath where Christ was crucified, uh-huh. that it, um, it had half of the human chromosomes that you would expect, plus one. And so, it's, it's a human blood type, but it's yeah. not a human blood type. Right. And um, so by his writings and his research that it was like Mary plus one God molecule. Hmm. And, um, and it, it's, how would Jesus be our substitute if he wasn't us? Right. So you're saying like, that kind of, could support what the author is saying that idea of like the confusion and the distraught factor when you disconnected through you had this ongoing conversation with god and all of a sudden you're disconnected hmm i didn't consider that point you no know, ellen white talks about it a lot about right. how he felt you know uh very deep despair because of that disconnection huh that he couldn't see through it and honestly that's like us as humans because mm-hmm. I mean I know we've all been different through different situations where we feel like right. you're praying and praying you're crying you're out to God and you right. don't feel connected or you don't feel he's listening and it's disheartening it's 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 hard right. it, it's a very hard thing and, and for him to experience the human condition fully mm-hmm. to me it makes sense because, you know, of the disconnect, what crazy things would you think if, you know, if God was away, but he doesn't love me anymore. He doesn't want me to be with him anymore. He doesn't, mm. you know, I'm not good enough. Mm. I'm, you know what I mean? My those are, are all. Yeah, they're not going beyond the ceiling. Yeah. Mm, I mean, those are all very human right. elements. Right. Right. Mm. Well said. Yeah. Well, I think it speaks to the idea of like, even if you have a good relationship with God, right? Like in those moments where your human, you know, takes over and where Satan, you know, has more influence, you can completely lose sight of, you know, where you're at. Like even, you know, somebody as connected, right, as Jesus was, um, you know, in those moments, right? He was not thinking clearly. And I, I think it I think it would be it's less of a sacrifice, right? If he remembered to the whole thing, okay, three days. We've got you know, we just have three days, right? And then I'm I'm back to where I was, right? Like hmm. that to me kind of would cheapen the this this sacrifice or the 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 reason for it. Right? Interesting. Like if you don't if you just think, Okay, well, we're gonna go through this couple days and then we're good to go right like if you have that moment where you really believe then the sacrifice is 
Mm. And, and I, I do see where Satan would muddy those waters out to the very end, mm-hmm. you know, where you can't see straight. He couldn't see straight. Maybe that's why he's, uh, maybe that's how he's referring as the death of a sinner, because of that disconnection. I think it's really interesting, too, to think about that idea of if you, like, okay, so even though Jesus couldn't see through the corridors of the tomb, right, that's the babble, the psycho babble from that older, the older ideas, but, like, he, he couldn't see it. Like, to him, there was that disconnect, but then how could prior to that he could prophesy that in three days, I will rise again? Right? So I think it's like, because he understood how life worked, that if you live in harmony with the way God designed life to work, which is what greater love hath no man than he who lay down his life for his son. Uh, what does it say in Revelations? Like, um, these are they who, um, like the sealed of God, right? It's that idea of, um, they're so settled in the truth about God and who he is and this love relationship that, that they can't be moved. Even if, even if you kill them, like they will, like, okay, so you can kill this body, right? But you can't destroy the soul, the internal life aspect. So my thought is maybe the reason Jesus could foretell his own resurrection is because he knew that, well, I'm living in harmony with life. And because I'm living in harmony with life, I will live again even though I'm going to go through this this situation where there's going to be this separation from God, just as the sinners are going to experience in the end. But since the sinners did not live in harmony of life, there is no resurrection for them. It's just disconnection. And that kind of actually then wiggle back to the, to the original question, well, then what kills them, right? And so this is where... Uh, Mark, it jumps into your interesting point. Page 149, the second, third paragraph down there. Now the question, if God did not execute Christ on the cross, but gave him up to die as the unrepentant sinner, then what actually caused his death? Right? First of all, though, it certainly contributed to it. Crucifixion was not the sole cause of Christ's death. Right, and so he gives us the the scripture reference in John nineteen, where the soldier walks up, and he pierces Jesus' side and pulls it out, and blood and water flow out. Okay. So they come back to Pilate. They say he's already dead. Pilate said, "What? How can he be dead? There's no way he could die that quick. That that quick, right? Because crucifixion is a three four day process, severe torture." Right, so if we flip the page to 150, and this is what's really interesting. The second paragraph there. Physicians say that the fact that blood and water came from the opening in the chest made by the soldier's sword is evidence that Jesus actually died from traumatic shock. Today, this is known as the broken heart syndrome. That is a condition that occurs when a person suffers from extreme stress, just as Jesus would have during this experience. This condition causes the body to release excessive amounts of fluids and adrenaline, which accumulate in the heart and the sac that surrounds the heart, and if not relieved, will cause the heart to fail. That's very interesting. So it would totally make sense then to think about like the human side of Jesus going through this, like experiencing this eternal separation from the source of life and the effect that would have on him. 
just in power failure. He died of a broken heart. So the author here, then the next, the very next paragraph just ties that right into saying, because as we've learned, right, the new Jerusalem on earth, the gates are open, nothing's keeping them out, but their own choice. Jesus is revealed. Every knee shall bow, including Satan's, and acknowledge that he's Lord. Right? They rise up to fight, and they all perish. Right? This whole kind of bigger concept. So, the author here says, Just as Christ on the cross, the lost sinner will also be under enormous stress as they stand outside the walls of the New Jerusalem at the Great White Throne Judgment feeling the terrible weight of guilt, despair, self-condemnation, and having no hope, realizing they have cut themselves off from the very source of life. And I think that's what Jesus did. Jesus voluntarily cut himself off from the source of life. Right? And so does every unrepentant sinner. They voluntarily cut themselves off. So doesn't this idea though point right back to what the author was saying about like he completely lost hope that he was going to be resurrected mm. because if the reason that the sinner right will you know they have no help right like they've cut themselves off completely right um, they face eternal death and that's the way that they die and that's the same way Jesus died then it would make sense that he would have to experience the exact same thing, which would mean that he believed that moment that he was not going to be resurrected with him. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. That he lost his life. Wow. I mean, what good of a sacrifice would it be if the, if he thought, well, there's a trick to this? That's like what Sarah was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. Three days were good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Compare this for a little bit. That would be the selfish motive going on there. Like, Correct. Right. Yeah, you're right. I just got to get through this. And well said. Down. Well yeah. said. And I'll be good again. Well yeah. said. Yeah. Good That's why he said it. That's why he says, I commend my spirit to you. And died there. Yeah, God does not put anyone to death, right? Like, people die. People die as a natural result of their own, like, they just... But the thing is, though, they don't just get there. It's not It's not like a, a once-and-done thing. It's a series of choices you make, you know, um, over a long period of time that, like, changes your character to be like that, you know? Hardened in rebellion. So the last paragraph there, bottom of page 150... And this kind of pretty much wraps up this lesson. There's one difference in the death of the sinner and the experience of Christ. As Jesus experienced this awful death, no matter how hopeless things looked to him, he still trusted God's word that had told him he would be raised on the third day. And just before he died, he cried, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. This is the faith of Jesus. A faith that trusts in God no matter how dark and hopeless things may look. I think of Job. Think of Job in that moment, right? Or Jonah, 
And earlier in the lesson, we didn't read it, but earlier in the lesson, he actually points us back to Jonah. And how Jesus compared death in the tomb to like Jonah in the belly of the whale. It's really neat. This is the faith of Jesus, a faith that trusts in God no matter how dark and hopeless things may look. We all need that kind of faith. Amen to that, huh? Any final or closing thoughts here to this lesson to kind of finish it off? There's a question here. We haven't really, you know, when we're going through these discussions at the end of every chapter, there's response questions. But I think number two is really important if we look at number two. Question two. Do you understand that if, that if one willfully continues to cling to sin, they eventually cut themselves off from the source of life and will die the awful second death? And I, I made a note there, and I wrote selfishness. Because what kind of person willfully continues to cling to sin? Right? Willfully. Like that's, that really kind of touched me when I read that. You can look at all sin coming back from selfishness. Absolutely. And how many people are selfish? Everybody. And, you know, it's unlearning that. That's the refining process. And it's very easy for people to die selfish. Yeah, yeah I look at it like like the person, because I believe I'm not born guilty, I'm born terminal. Like, I didn't choose selfishness. I was born this way, right? Just like a baby, maybe a baby born HIV positive didn't choose HIV. They were born that way. But then there's that idea of, like, but then as that baby who has the HIV grows, do they willfully choose to behave in ways that will, you know, they've already contracted it, but you know what I'm saying? Like continue their unhealth, make them have it more, whatever it could be. Or do they make choices to take medicines, get some healing, you know, overcome it, things like that, right? So I look at it that way. Like even though we were all born terminal, this condition called selfishness, like, we don't have to stay that way if we don't choose, if we don't want to. We can choose Jesus, and that's where Paul says, be baptized by the renewing of your mind. We can be changed, or a person can willfully say, no, I actually prefer to be like this. I prefer to live in selfishness. And that's the person that ends up, as we've been learning, being let go by God in the end. You know? Heavy stuff. Well, next week, we're going to kind of complete this study um, as we learn about the final death of the wicked. And the title is The Second Death. So I know this whole series here has been pretty heavy here in the middle. Um, but I can, I can assure you that it ends very well. And um, the lesson we're going to get into after the second death, lesson 13, is titled Models of Salvation. And that is actually... A really cool lesson that that compares the legal model of salvation versus a design law healing model of salvation and I think that's gonna be a really good study we get into so that's gonna be a few weeks yet but yeah let's pray thank you God for this amazing conversation thank you so much that you're not the source of death or suffering or punishment that love requires freedom and as we can learn how Jesus died, 
you just let him go you let him reap what he chose to do which is amazing if we think about it like that jesus you know you voluntarily chose to sacrifice your your omnipotence your infinite god your infinite abilities and you chose to sacrifice all of that to become a finite human being with limitations for the rest of eternity and that is really hard for me to wrap my head around and so i just you know help us understand that what that looks like and you know and as we wrap up this heavy study for the next couple weeks about the death of the wicked and how it all plays out ultimately lord jesus we ask that we be making look good in these conversations that in the end you know through these messages we don't come away with a more fear but more love and compassion for others thank you jesus in your precious name